Thank you all for being here this evening. I add my voice to the earlier welcome. For those who are visitors, we appreciate you making the choice to make our evening together with God a part of your evening. In our uh, evening services this week and the regular services on Sunday, we've been studying from the book of Proverbs. <clears throat> Proverbs is not a book that lends itself to a chapter-by-chapter -chapter approach. A lot, a lot of it is just, several of the chapters are just random arrangements of various ethical statements or proverbs. And so the way we've approached it is sort of like a tree with, with two main branches. Down one branch you have wisdom and the, the kind of person that follows after wisdom and the kind of ethics that spring up or the virtues that stem from those wise ethics, okay? And then now in the other branch is wisdom's opposite, folly. And we've studied some about that and, and what the person is like who's chosen that foolish course of life. And tonight we continue in that vein talking about the kinds of vices that come from folly. So you've got wisdom and the virtues that follow, and then you've got folly or foolishness and the vices that follow. So let's consider some of the vices that Proverbs speaks of as coming from folly. And one, and I believe kind of the main one, is pride. Pride we find associated here with foolishness or a lack of wisdom. Proverbs 13 and 10 says, By pride comes nothing but strife, but the well-advised is wisdom. So in this parallel structure, we've talked about the parallel structure of a lot of these statements that are in the book of Proverbs. In this parallel structure, on the one hand, you have this person who has pride, and all they get from that is strife. But on the other hand, you have this person who is well-advised, and they have wisdom. So you've got wisdom on one side of this branch, so to speak, that springs from this singular passage. Same thing we find springing from the entire book. One branch that's about wisdom, and then the other branch is about folly. Because it's not wisdom, it's someone that rejects wisdom. And what do we find in that heart of folly? But pride. And what does that produce? Nothing but strife. I am keenly aware of what the world says. The world says if you want to get ahead in life, you've got to dig and fight and scratch and claw and stick out for number one. You've got to speak up for yourself because nobody else will. You've got to get in there and dig and look out for number one and make yourself your, high, your top priority. And those are things that are associated with pride. And this passage warns us that pride does not produce good things. Human pride produces strife or trouble. Proverbs 28 and 25 says, He who is of a proud heart stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will be prospered. You ever hit a point in your life where you felt like you were facing a lot of contention? You were involved in a lot of different conflict, and, and you're thinking, you know, I don't want this conflict. I don't want these problems. Maybe, you know, you turn here at work and you run into conflict and then you turn there at work and you run into conflict and then you find yourself at conflict in your neighborhood and at conflict in your community and it just feels like everywhere you turn there's conflict. 
Sometimes life gets that way. And sometimes it's that way because there are a lot of people out there that, that cause a lot of trouble. And we have to live in this world, and so we're going to encounter people like that. And when we do, we're going to encounter a lot of strife and a lot of trouble. But when you go to feeling that way, let me suggest something for you to do as a strong spiritual exercise. Before you start assuming it's everybody else's fault, stop and ask yourself, now wait a minute, is any of this because of my own pride? And in a soul-searching, honest self-examination, you, you may not, you genuinely may not see where you've been prideful or arrogant and, and caused some of the strife that you face. And if you just keep facing strife, maybe that's where you need to turn to a friend. One that you spiritually trust to be spiritually strong who will be honest with you. And ask them. And accept their answer. Because what does wisdom do but welcome that correction like what we've already talked about. Okay? So you turn and you ask that friend and really earnestly and honestly search yourself because where there's a lot of strife, somewhere there's pride at the root of it. I heard it said long ago that every sin somewhere or another finds its root in pride. And I found that very hard to disagree with at the time I first heard that. And the more I study about just scripture in general, but in particular pride, the more it seems that, you know, that's just really how it is. Every sin, one way or another, finds its roots back to pride. And that's certainly the way with strife. So let's look at what else pride does and its corrupting effect. Remember how wisdom is powerful to reshape the character? Remember that from our earlier studies? Well, unfortunately, folly is very destructive in its ability to destroy our character. And pride, being a characteristic of folly, can destroy us and corrupt our words. Look in Proverbs 14 and 3. In the mouth of a fool is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. So you're in a heated argument with your spouse. And they've said something that bugs you a little bit. Or maybe they've said something that kind of hurts your feelings a little bit. Or maybe they hit a nerve and made you feel guilty. And so how do you respond? Well, I hope we would respond godly every time, but I'm afraid I know better. I'm afraid there are times that when we feel hurt by something that someone said, what we do is we turn and we use our words as weapons. <clears throat> and we say something designed to hurt them or bring them down or belittle them in some way. Maybe it's not a spouse. Maybe it's somebody else. I'm fairly certain that most of us here this evening can identify with that feeling and that urge to say those things. And maybe there have been times you can recall giving in to those ungodly urges. And that's pride. <clears throat> because what's happening is if I'm kind of feeling pushed down, I can't feel bigger and better based on my own merit. So the only way for me to get any higher is climb up on the other fellow's neck. And so that's what we do. And the only way we can bring them down is with our harsh words. And those harsh words in this passage are described as a rod of pride. Your words become this long rod that you smite people with, and the reason you strike them with your words is because your pride is wounded. And if your pride is wounded, you should let it bleed. 
and let it suffer and let it die, but we don't want to do that. And if we follow the course of folly, we won't do that. Instead, we'll try to revive it and bolster it and, and make ourselves feel better again, and awful words are a way that we might do that. <coughs> Pride also produces anger. Kind of an interesting passage in Proverbs 21 and 24. There are other passages we could read about this, but I want to put this before you for your personal study. The New King James there says, A proud and haughty man, scoffer is his name. He acts with arrogant pride. When you look at the King James, he says, Proud and haughty scorner is his name, who dealeth in proud wrath. Now, those two translations are, are pretty different in the sense that the, the King James connects the idea of wrath with pride. And I've done some word studying there of is the idea of arrogant pride a better translation than proud wrath. And as far as I can tell, I'm very limited in my ability to examine these things, but as far as I can tell, the, the way the, the King James translators put that is uh, very easy to defend. The idea of wrath is had in the words that are used there. So I put that out there to just put that there for you to study and consider. But this is not the only passage that connects pride and wrath. Why do we get mad? Why do we get mad? Is it for God's sake? Well, it's possible to have anger for all the right reasons. But that's not the anger that most often besets us. You know, we're not mad because people have, you know, turned the, the temple of God into this place of money changers and made it, a, you know, a den of thieves the way we read about Jesus doing in the Gospels. That's not the kind of stuff that makes us mad. I'll tell you exactly what makes us mad is I'm driving down the road minding my own business going the speed limit and somebody cuts in front of me going 10 miles an hour under the speed limit. That's what makes me mad. Well, why? Well, Apparently, I think I've got a right to be in front of them. Don't I? Well, why would I have that right? What's so special about me that says I ought to be first in line? The same thing that's special about you that says you ought to be first in line. Nothing. Unfortunately. Did it hurt your pride to hear that? It hurt my pride to admit it. Let's let it bleed. Just let it bleed. The kind of stuff that makes us mad is when we face some kind of affront to our pride. And so you see how pride, as a foolish characteristic, goes out and gets its little buddies and brings them into your heart and has other people, you know, other sin problems living in there along with it. Sin always operates that way. It won't stand alone. It will go and get companion sins to keep it company. I'm speaking about sin in a, in a personifying way for a purpose to help us understand that sin naturally multiplies. And what we're learning here about pride is a classic example. That's, when that, that's why that folly branch of our topic tree this week has so many different limbs shooting off in so many different directions. Believe it or not, pride can even bring laziness. Proverbs 26 and 16, the lazy man is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. I can think of more good reasons that seem very reasonable to me that I don't need to get out there and mow than you can shake a stick at. 
And the, and the person here is portrayed as being wise in their own eyes. That's pride. And what is this prideful person? They're lazy. You might think, well, I know some really arrogant people that are very industrious and not lazy at all. I understand. Remember from very early in our studies this week that we learned that these are general truths. They're not these things that stand without exception. They're general truths. And as a generality, pride tends to bring laziness alongside it because the same arrogance that says I'm excused from being cut off in traffic says I'm excused, see, from suffering the same difficult labors that others have to endure. How many times have you heard? I've heard this before. (laughs) Maybe you've heard this too. Somebody that's unemployed, and you talk to them about, well, try. Have you tried applying for this job? And you suggest some menial job, some menial task, where you see all the help wanted signs. And what do they say? Well, that work is beneath me. No, it's not. The idea of there being some certain work beneath me, you see, that's pride. See how pride brings laziness? Alongside of pride comes hate as another vice that's associated with folly. In Proverbs 11 and verse 12, he who is devoid of wisdom, there's folly, despises his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his peace. We've thought some already this week, you know, about that guy that's just always at strife and always embroiled with controversy and can't get along with anybody, somebody that's always finding someone new to be mad at and the latest grudge of the hour to cling to. This passage portrays that as a trait of folly of someone who's devoid of wisdom. Look in Titus 3 and verse 3 to take this principle outside the book of Proverbs, which we have occasionally done this week. Look at Titus 3 and verse 3, describing the life of a sinner. Paul said, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another. The life of sin's misery, hateful, full of hate, and hating one another. Just always mad at a new person. And see how that clusters in here with other sinful vices because they all spring from the same fountain of folly, okay? The same foolishness. You remember what I said a while ago about sin doesn't stand alone in your heart. It'll go get its other sin buddies and bring them in and compound the problems. This passage is evidence. That's exactly how it works. And what does hate do? Hate has the net effect, the same thing that pride does, because they both stem from the same destructive origin. Hate stirs strife. Look in Proverbs 10 and 12. Hate stirs up strife, but love covers all sin. Two opposites. On one side, you've got the wisdom branch. On the other side, you've got the foolish branch. See why we're approaching Proverbs this way? It really makes sense when you think about it. I'm going to tell you something else hate does. Hate gets in the way of your joy. It impedes your joy. Proverbs 15 and 17, better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. I enjoyed part of a fatted calf at supper tonight. Eddie grills a great steak. Okay? It was delicious. I really feel bad for you if you love steak and didn't have one. (laughs) You can't enjoy it if all that's around you is hate. We sat at a table filled with love. 
And I will tell you that would make any meal pleasant. When everybody loves each other and is getting along in harmony and wisdom is governing everyone's conduct and everyone's words, you know what you're having for supper is not as important as who's there to enjoy it with you and the love with which it's enjoyed. But hate robs you of that joy. Bitterness and grudges rob you of that joy. Because hate goes out and gets its other sin buddies and brings it in, brings them in to keep them company. And one of those is lies. <coughs> Proverbs 26, verse 24 and 25, he who hates disguises it with his lips and lays up deceit within himself. And when he speaks kindly, do not believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. At my wife's former employee, they would have occasional work you know, social get-togethers like, you know, Christmas parties and things like that, and they, everybody was supposed to come because we're, we're going to promote, you know, this, this thing of how much everybody loves each other. And, I, you know, I would go with her because she forced me to against my will. And, we, you know, we would talk ahead of time about our strategy of how we're going to handle ourselves and how we're going to try to act with Christian dignity because there were those there that made that very easy and there were those there that made that nigh unto impossible. Not impossible, but close. <laughs> and you'd be talking to somebody and they'd start talking about the person several feet away and I mean they start plowing into them until that person come up to the group to say hi and then that angry <laughs> face reporting all these flaws turned into this plastic, fake smile. <laughs> oh, hi, sweetie. Out of the same mouth, flowed blessing and cursing. You've seen this before. Hate will disguise itself and turn and say cheap and dishonest words. Hate will lie in a heartbeat just to disguise itself. Why? Because hate's associated with pride, and pride doesn't want to endure the embarrassment of being caught. And so hate that's prideful will lie in order to keep that pride bolstered. And what does he say? Packing away the seed in his heart, and there's seven abominations in his heart. And when the evening was over, you know, and we'd get back in the car, my wife would say, watch that person. Be careful what you say to them. That's the thing about changing jobs. You, you, you forgot, you know, you've lost on your radar who, you know, to kind of be careful about. And we have to be careful about people who live their lives in pursuit of these foolish things. Consider Proverbs 26 and verse 28. A lying tongue hates those who are crushed by it, and a flattering mouth works ruin. You see the association with the flattery here? It's insincere flattery. It's part of those lies that stem from hate. And a lying tongue hates its victims. I don't care how much a person might verbally deny, even vehemently deny, oh no, I don't hate them. I just enjoy crushing them with words. See how silly that is. Hate goes and grabs other sins and brings them along. And so you can clearly see an association with the pride and with the hate then comes 
the anger or the wrath that we touched on a moment ago. Proverbs 14 and 17, a quick-tempered man acts foolishly and a man of wicked intentions is hated. You see the folly here? This is on the foolish branch of, of the proverb topic tree. And what's that person referred to as? Being quick-tempered. I couldn't help myself and I lost control or words that we might use to kind of deceive ourselves a little bit. And I'd like to suggest that we think of a better way to word that. And it's going to hurt. I chose not to help myself and I decided to surrender control. I know. I don't like that either. But I think a lot of times that's really what's happening. Somewhere in that moment of folly and fury, we've convinced ourselves that what needs to happen is I need to erupt like a volcano. <laughs> and it takes a little while for us to back up and realize how silly we look in the sight of God and in the sight of our fellow man. Look at what he says about the fool's anger in Proverbs 12 and verse 16. A fool's wrath is known at once, but a prudent man covers shame. We've talked a great deal this week at different times about when your emotions are boiling up inside and you, you know, you've got these emotions and they're very real and you've got to contend with them. What you do is you just stop talking and you just stop acting and you just patiently wait for those emotions to die back down. And that's not easy. That's like holding back a team of Clydesdale horses, you know, that are pulling in every way to try to get you to say and do things that your emotions want you to do. But your emotions are horrible decision makers, so don't hand them the helm. Just shut down and calm down. So they said, well, I don't like being told to calm down. I'll tell you why we don't like being told to calm down, because we're being prideful. That's exactly the truth. But sometimes calm down is exactly the news I need to hear. And let those emotions die down. That's that person who has used prudence to cover their shame. Instead of emotionally erupting and acting with shame, they've chosen to conceal that shame until they get a handle on their emotions. <coughs> because that anger will cause strife, obviously. Proverbs 15 and 18, a wrathful man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger allays contention. Isn't it a blessing to have that person who in the group is always the one is that, that's the voice of reason, that's able to say and do things to kind of get things quietened back down. That's a voice of wisdom and reason as opposed to the way of folly. What does anger do? It does the same thing these other things do. It causes other sins. Proverbs 29 and 22, an angry man stirs up strife and a furious man abounds in transgressions. What does this tell us about anger? It tells us exactly what we've been discovering throughout the course of our study this evening. But each of these different sins goes and, and gets their sin buddies and brings them in and compounds themselves. Sin naturally multiplies. <coughs> and here we are again encountering that fact from Scripture. Now here's the thing about that that will help us if we'll really listen to the wisdom of Proverbs. Well, I know, I, you know I've got a problem with my anger, but hey, at least I, you know, I don't have all these other problems. We'll give it time. 
If you leave your anger unchecked, give it time. Because it'll go find some sin buddies to come in and help mess things up. So I can't just rest back on the fact and sort of give up trying about one problem just because, well, at least I don't have all these other problems. Because if I leave one problem unchecked, then at least eventually I will have other problems. And they'll come in and bring other problems and keep multiplying. So we've got to always be aware and fight these things, don't we? And it doesn't just go and get other sins and bring them into our hearts. It leaps into the hearts of those that are around us. And anger in that way becomes contagious. Proverbs 22, verse 24 and 25. Make no friendship with an angry man and with a furious man. Do not go. Why would you say such a thing, Lord? Lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. Be careful about spending time with people that don't keep their anger in check because before long you'll learn to act like them. You see how it spreads and how it multiplies. We've got to be careful about these things, don't we? Something else about anger is in its destructive power, it can be repetitive. A man of great wrath, he said in Proverbs 19 and verse 19, will suffer punishment. For if you rescue him, you will have to do it again. Does this make you think about being an enabler? Somebody's got a problem and, you know, they're not working to keep that problem in check and that problem gets them in trouble and they find someone close to them in their life to bail them out and that person feels sorry for them so they go bail them out of trouble. And whatever way that mechanism might be of bailing them out of trouble, maybe it's literally bailing them out of jail. What do you say is going to happen? You're just setting the stage for it to happen again. There's a little motivation from Scripture to think carefully about whether or not we're being an enabler with someone. It's not compassionate to be an enabler. That's not compassion. We might tell ourselves it's compassion. You know, when Saul was on a murderous rampage trying, like everything, to kill David, <clears throat> there were people that came and told him where David was hiding, and he said, thank you for having compassion on me. Let me translate that for you. Thank you for so tenderheartedly helping me be a murderer. Isn't that kind of silly? Well, of course it is. So being an enabler is not a godly thing because the nature of sin and in this particular case the nature of anger is such that it's repetitive out of the frying pan into the fire the Lord calls us instead to control that anger verse uh, 11 of Proverbs 19 the discretion of a man makes him slow to anger and his glory is to overlook a transgression at transgression. The real glory is not in exploding and standing up for yourself and giving everybody a piece of your mind. The real glory is learning and exercising self-control, the self-discipline, what this passage labels as discretion, which in Proverbs is kind of a synonym for wisdom, which is the opposite of foolishness or folly. Okay. What's another vice that comes from folly? Another vice is the abuse of alcohol. Proverbs 20 and verse 1, he said, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Not wise, foolish, folly. 
we're very careful when we read passages that that talk about the abuse of alcohol. We're very careful, as we should be, to point out, you know, he condemns drunkenness. He doesn't just condemn the drink, but he condemns the drunkenness. We need to make those distinctions, okay, because the Bible condemns drunkenness. But we're going to make that distinction here. It's not drunkenness that's the mocker. It's the wine itself. So let's understand that the scriptures portray wine and strong drink as something that's a mocker and a brawler. The drink itself is potentially very, very dangerous. Well, things that are dangerous, what do we do? We exercise great caution. And what's the cost if we don't? Proverbs 23, verse 29 through 35. Who has woe, who has sorrow, who has contention, who has complaints, who has wounds without cause, who has redness of the eyes, those who linger long at wine, those who go in search of mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things. Your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea or like one who lies at the top of the mast saying, they have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have been beaten, or excuse me, they have beaten me, but I did not feel it. And when shall I awake that I may seek another drink? The repetition of sin, just like anger, it repeats itself. And what did he say here besides condemning the overindulgence of drunkenness? What else did he say? He said that drink bites like a snake. Now marry that with the thought we gleaned from Proverbs 20 and verse 1. It's dangerous, so be careful. I don't think it's a sin to pick up a poisonous snake, but if I'm going to do it, I'm going to be really careful about it. I'm really careful if I'm picking up one that I'm pretty sure is not poisonous. You see the idea? Foolishness ignores these warnings. We don't want to be foolish. We want to take these warnings to heart. In the book of Proverbs chapter 31, he warns about how the abuse of alcohol can cause one to forget God's law. He said in Proverbs 31 verse 4 and 5, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. What happens here with the abuse of alcohol? Well, it lowers someone's inhibitions. They forget the standard of right and wrong. And he says that's part of the danger. And so wisdom would have us to be careful about alcohol. And foolishness throws caution to the wind. Something else that is a characteristic or a vice that's associated with foolishness in the book of Proverbs is gluttony or indulgence. In Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 20, he said, There is a desirable treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man squanders it. Here you have this person who is foolish. Their life is governed by folly rather than wisdom. And what do they do? They can't maintain anything nice. They can't. Why? So if they've got something nice, they squander it. They waste it. That's overindulgence. So overindulgence here is associated with foolishness.
Think about that. You know, these are things that the scriptures forbid in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 23, verse 1 through 3. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you are a man given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. So what does he say? He said, don't have an appetite. No, he didn't. If he said that, we're all doomed. Lord gave us appetite so we wouldn't starve to death. He said, don't be given to appetite. You know, there's a difference in having a desire and being given over to it. There's a difference between enjoying something and overindulging. And that's what the scriptures warn about here in the book of Proverbs. Let's think about it like this. Do you ever read in the scriptures about people having a custom of having feasts and enjoying a feast like a wedding feast or things like that? Well, yeah, you do. So I'm, I'm not going to say that it's wrong to have a feast. We do that in our culture. We have feasts at holidays or special family gatherings, church dinners, things like that. We enjoy a feast. It's not wrong to have moments where we have plenty and we enjoy plenty. But the scriptures here want us to be able to put on the brakes in terms of this overindulgence. Don't be given to it. It's like a lot of these other conducts we're learning to exercise our restraint. Overindulgence is something that Proverbs portrays as bringing poverty. In Proverbs 23 and verse 21, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. Here he considers in kind of an expansive parallelism, he starts out with overindulgence, uh, somebody who's a drunkard or somebody who's gluttonous, and what does that person do? Well, they come to poverty. That's self-inflicted poverty. And then he pairs that with somebody who's lazy, drowsiness. What do they do? They come to poverty. They're clothed with rags. Through overindulgence, you see, that person, they, they can't keep and maintain nice things because what do they do? Like we read at the beginning of this segment, in overindulgence, they squander it. Proverbs 21 and verse 17 says, He who loves pleasure will be a poor man, but he who loves wine and oil will not be rich. So this passage warns us about letting our tastes run away with us. And it's and the way my dad put it, he, he said, Don't try to have champagne tastes on a beer wallet. Now, he wasn't trying to say to buy champagne or beer. That was not Dad's way, nor was it his point. His point was, if you have these extravagant tastes, but you can't afford to fulfill those extravagant tastes, you're going to break the bank. You'll never have anything. So instead, learn to manage, learn to control those things. Are we seeing that in foolishness there's a consistent line in all of these things, that, all these vices that we talk about, there's an unwillingness to accept responsibility to control ourselves? And in wisdom, there is the embracing of the obligation to control ourselves. So let's think of the beauty and the wisdom of exercising self-control. It's interesting what Proverbs says about the idea of balance in these things, of having some, but not too much. Proverbs 30, verse 7 through 9, Two things I request of you, deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me. 
lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is my Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. It's a really interesting passage that warns us about two financial extremes. On the one extreme, you have overindulgence and excess. On the other extreme, you have somebody suffering and doing without. And what does he say is the best? I heard it the other day, moderation in all things. You ever hear that expression? I've heard that for years, moderation in all things. And that's sort of what this passage is talking about. The moderate path being a proper path. So it's not like we're trying to punish the flesh and do without to the harming of ourselves. The idea is not that we're going to overindulge and have too much, but we're going to exercise the moderation of having that sense of balance in our enjoyment of things. It's not a sin to enjoy things, but let's have a sense of balance about that. Leave me alone about this on Thanksgiving. That's feast day, okay? <laughs> Remember, it's, we can have a feast. Look at these things. We did the same thing with wisdom. We talked about wisdom and the virtues that come from it. Now consider these foolish vices and how they're interconnected. The pride, the hate, the anger, the abuse of alcohol, the overindulgence and the gluttony. Think of those things and how they all stem from foolish choices. In every way, every one of those things was a path further from God. But further from God is not where you and I want to be. I want to tell you, wherever you're at tonight, from that point, you want to move closer to God. That may be a comparatively small step for you. Maybe you're already a seasoned and disciplined and strong Christian. And if that's the case, I applaud that and say, keep that up. Maybe you're not even a Christian. And how much further from God can you be than to be outside the love of his son? I want to invite you to change that tonight. If you're spiritually ready to become a Christian and draw closer to God, don't waste any more of your life living in folly. Perhaps you've become a Christian, but you've let some of this foolishness take root and rule you. It's time to reevaluate. It's time to look at yourself and ask those tough questions. Maybe you need to lean on the counsel of some trusted, spiritually strong Christian friends. Have you let yourself in your Christian service drift a little further from God? You need to be closer to God. And there's a way to do that. He always welcomes his children back. Perhaps we could assist you with our prayers tonight. If you're a Christian and that is your status tonight, you've let yourself drift, perhaps we could help you with our prayers. If that is the case, we would love to do so. Or if you have a need to obey the gospel, we'd love to help you in that way. If we can help you in either way, please come. Have a seat on the front while we stand and while we sing.